Resiliency Within, with host Elaine Miller-Karras, is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller-Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within, and I want to let our audience know, too, we are also live streaming on Facebook Live on the Resiliency Within Facebook page. I want to welcome our wonderful nurse midwives and childbirth educators from the Atlanta Birth Center. So welcome, ladies. Welcome. Thank you, you, Elaine. Great to be here. I'm going to say a little bit about what we're going to talk about, and I'm going to introduce each of you briefly, and then we're going to get to our questions today. So um, the Atlanta Birth Center nurse midwives, Molly Job and Hannah Walters, and childbirth educator Tracy Goddard-Johnson will present its Innovative Wellness Within Project and share the mission and purpose of the Atlanta Birth Center, a Georgia-based nonprofit organization that operates Atlanta's only freestanding nationally accredited birth center. Let me say a little bit about Tracy, because she's also a nurse wife as well, but in, at the center, she is a certified childbirth educator with International Childbirth Education Association, um, I guess, certification. Tracy graduated and certified as a midwife from King's College Nursing and Midwifery Faculty. And you'll see when she starts to speak, she's from London, the United Kingdom. She worked within that role for 12 years um, in London, where she lived before moving permanently to Georgia. She's also currently serves as a facilitator of the Community Resiliency Model as part of the Wellness Within Study at Atlanta Birth Center that she's going to tell us more about. Um, Molly Job is a certified nurse um, midwife, and she completed her midwifery training at Emory University in 2016 and worked in community health, out-of-hospital, and private practice settings. She currently works full-time with a private practice in Atlanta, as well as per diem with Atlanta Birth Center, where she's also the principal investigator with the Wellness Within Project, assessing the impact of the community resiliency model in the perinatal period. Um, She's also trained in mindfulness-based stress reduction, trauma-informed care, and perinatal mental health. Hannah Walters is a a CNM DNP, was born and raised in Watkinsville, Georgia. Did I say that correctly? I hope I did. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And she went to the University of Georgia and later nursing school at Medical College of Georgia. And she um, attended Emory University where she studied nurse midwifery and got her doctorate in nursing practice, focusing on public health. And she's currently works as a full-time as a midwife at the Atlanta Birth Center. And she's also a co-investigator in the wellness research study. So welcome. And I just want to get from all of you as we get started. Um, If there's anything on your mind today, Molly, I'm going to start with you. Sure. Um, I think more than anything, I'm just excited and really honored to be here. This feels like a full circle to me in lots of ways to be able to be sitting here speaking with you with this team. Um, Lots of things have come to fruition in doing this project, but I think I just more than anything, it feels just like a full circle to be here and I'm grateful. Um, So yeah. It's wonderful to have you, Molly. And Tracy, what about you? Go next. 
think I can just piggyback on the same as what Marnie just said, really. It is an honor. It's actually um, uh, amazing to, to be able to utilize, learn and utilize this skill uh, and these tools, not only for the birthing community, but I actually, Elaine, have been using them on myself. They are tremendous. So that's what's on my mind. I'm very, very happy to come to know these tools and these skills. Well, and Tracy, I you you thought that maybe that there's some friends of yours in the UK that could be listening. Do you want to do a shout out to them and welcome I, to the show? I do. Thank you so much, um, Elaine, for that. I'd like to give a shout out to Joe. She's uh, one of the midwives that I, the wind beneath my wings, so to speak, and Yvonne and anybody else who is listening. Yvonne and Joe, we met in our training and we also worked at the same hospitals for many, many years. And I think Yvonne still works there. Yeah. Well, I know that there can be a very close association with nurse midwives that you train and work with. Mm -hmm. So, and And Hannah, last but not least... What's on your yeah. mind? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I um, I guess I mirror what they said. I learned about Creme a long time ago from our mentor, and I feel like it's so exciting to be at the part where we get to share it with so many people. Um, I got to see someone in early labor earlier today, um, and it's, it's just always like reinvigorating getting to like share this kind of stuff with people as they go through life and labor. So. Well, and I kind of I thank you so much for sharing that. And we're going to be using terminology today. We're going to be talking about the community resiliency model, and we will use CRIM as a as an easier acronym, so we don't have to say the whole thing every time. But I also want to let my listeners know, too. Many of them may not know that in my, early in my days, before I became a mental health provider, I was a childbirth educator. I was certified through the American Society for Psychoprophylaxis in Obstetrics (ASPO) is what we called it for short, and I was one of the first non-nurses that they allowed in the program. I had to do a lot of training to get there, by the way, I want you ladies to know. And um, and I also was a doula. So I worked with an out-of-hospital um, birthing center um, in San Jose, California. And there was a wonderful midwife there named um, Harriet Palmer, who later was my midwife when I had my daughter. So I'm very, so this is also, when you say full circle, Molly, this feels full circle for too. So um, I think we're all in this. So I've been so delighted to hear about the work of the Atlanta Birth Center. And so I want to start out by just asking, you know, to, for one of you to explain, well, what is the Atlanta Birth Center? What do you do there? How is it different from having your birth in a hospital setting? So who's going to go first? Sure, I'll start us out. Um, so Atlanta Birth Center, you mentioned this in your introduction, Elaine, but we're a nonprofit organization and we operate as Atlanta's only freestanding nationally accredited birth center. So as a nonprofit, we rely really heavily on donors from our community in order for us to provide what we consider full spectrum midwifery care and more of a home-like environment. So we see patients, of course, for prenatal care, so during their pregnancy, um, for labor, birth, and postpartum. And then we also offer full spectrum gynecologic and reproductive health care too. Um, so everything from planning for next pregnancies to birth control, counseling on those types of things. Um, we partner with Grady Memorial Hospital, which is a large public hospital in Atlanta. So we partner with them in the event that 
our pregnant patients do develop complications either during their pregnancy, their labor, or their birth. Um, we are a really close-knit community, which I think we're going to talk about more. What we feel is so valuable in birth center care is just this community aspect of it and why we feel like CRIM has also been so easily to integrate into the care that we provide. Um, we have about seven full-time midwives at the birth center right now, and then several of us that work per diem or as needed four full-time nurses, as well as some part-time and PRN nurses, administrative staff. We have birth assistants that help um, support during labor and birth, medical assistants. And then we also have a board of directors that consist of community stakeholders. Um, you know, as part of our care, and Hannah, I think, is going to talk more about this later, you know, what really makes birth center care different, but we really try to look at people holistically. Um, and so we kind of, you know, also really value and try to integrate um you know, resources from our community that support people, not just in terms of their pregnancy, but of course their mental health and other physical needs. So for us, that looks like having our own childbirth education, but also working with other healthcare providers in our community to provide lactation support, um, chiropractic care, nutrition support, and of course, mental health support. Um, and so really helping patients navigate that really complex system is also a key part of the, the care that we provide. So, you know, one of the things I was hoping, too, that that um, one of you would talk about is how, you know, just the extensive training midwives have. Sure. I mean, there, there are nurse midwives, there are midwives. Could you, could one of you talk about the training that the nurse midwives um, get, um, have to go through in order to become certified? Sure. Um, maybe I'll start about nurse midwives. And then, Tracy, do you want to talk about your kind of path to midwifery? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so go ahead, Hannah. Yeah, so... Uh, at Atlanta Birth Center, the midwives who are staffed there are certified nurse midwives. So that means that you um, went to school and got a bachelor's degree in nursing and then um, a master's in nurse midwifery. So not all midwives have worked as a labor and delivery nurse. We kind of come from all backgrounds of nursing. Um, and then, of course, your master's is, is focused in nurse midwifery. Um, which has various like clinical hours um, and um, different like components that you have to meet before you sit for a um, certification exam. It's much, it's it's similar to the nursing process. You know, you finish nursing school, you take your NCLEX, um, and then you apply to the Georgia Board of Nursing to have a license. It's kind of similar. You sit for a national accreditation um, exam and then send your paperwork in to get your APRN license, which is Advanced Practice Registered Nurse. I just want everyone to know that's listening. It's an extensive process. It's not easy and right. takes lots of clinical hours to in order to be able to become a certified nurse midwife. And now also, Hannah, I think it's important that people can go on and get their DNP. Can you just say briefly what that is? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I got my DNP as well, which is a doctor of nursing practice. So it's essentially, um, it's different than a PhD. It's not a research doctorate, but a clinical doctorate. And so I had um, the extreme fortune when I was at Emory, um, which is where I got my DNP to meet um, Dr. Nicole Carlson, who we'll talk about later. She's like our big mentor in this project and in life, um, Dr. Carlson was my advisor in my, in my project. And so... I basically got to learn how to do a little bit of research and learn. Um, I like to think of 
the DNP as like, how can we be um, armed with the tools to change healthcare? You know, a lot of us that are midwives, we came to it because we realized that the institution of medicine just isn't doing what we want to see it, what we want to see it do. And midwifery is kind of our path to changing that and giving people what they need to birth and make choices and live um, how they how they want to. So to me, the DMP kind of provided me with that insight. Thank you. Thank you. And now, Tracy, your perspectives about what we've been talking about. Well, my, my entrance into uh, midwifery has been quite a little bit different, but still the end project, uh, which is to become a midwife, meaning being with women. I did the three-year direct entry program, which they still run in the United Kingdom. I did that quite um, at King's College. I was quite honoured to be faculty there. Um, and it consists of a little bit of nursing to start off with in the first year. Um, and then we split. My particular programme split from the nurses and we went on to more specific, very, a little bit similar to what uh, Hannah has just said, um, the midwifery programme. We're really looking at models like approaches to clinical research and uh, another one that comes to mind, autonomous midwifery practice, professional issues in midwifery just to name a few and they are all consisting of issues in midwifery caring for the, the the woman or the pregnant person holistically not looking at her like she's sick so we're not looking we get the basis of the nursing nursing training like knowing vital signs and knowing when it's normal and not normal and what to do about that and what to, does it mean however normally or uh, the pregnant person is not a sick person she's having a baby and we're caring for her from that aspect so that model of midwifery care was what I was fortunate and a lot of my colleagues are fortunate uh, to be able to uh, um, go through. There is still the, the clinicals, there's still the examinations, like Hannah said, um, and very extensively too, we did something called OSCEs, where you had the sort of like bench of, of the creme de la creme of the professors and uh, sitting there and they give you a scenario with a, a baby, a dummy baby, and, and they tap out the heart rate and you've got to decide well it's not a normal heart rate what what steps do I take now so you have that and then you've got your clinicals of catching the requirement of catching 40 babies thankfully I caught 60 because I didn't want them to scratch away one of my babies you have to deliver both the baby and the placenta and that's what I wanted to say so I was fortunate to get 60 so that was my training very very robust training at King's College at University in Waterloo London so I am quite honoured that after after that training you work at the hospitals yes but you also work at the birth centers the home birth so we're very fortunate in the UK that that home birth wasn't like oh it is something that women are able to uh, choose if that's their option or if they want more home from home then that's where your birth center comes in and then if anything else changes you've got then your labor and delivery but we're trying to keep it as normal as possible that's what our midwifery faculty team members of staff that is the whole model midwifery model of care where i've come from so that that's mine what I love hearing from the three of you is that, you know, it's so nourishing to hear about your perspective about um, giving birth and how this is a healthy part of being a human being is giving birth. And you look at it in that way. And yet at the same time, because you are also very educated in also looking at the warning signs, if there's something happening, like you were saying about the baby's heart rate, that you also know what to do and to maybe take a different course of action 
if things um, go in an unplanned way, in a way that might need another level of care. I know that always made me feel better. And I want people to know that I'd had a nurse midwife. And and so being able to know that gave me a certain sense of safety as a mom, that I had this incredible care of knowing that the nurse midwives knew so many different ways to care for me Mm -hmm. that were different than some of the ways that were happening in a hospital. So that kind of gets to my next question. And, you know, I have great respect for people that work in hospitals too. I just want to say that. But what why is midwifery important when we're talking about people that are giving birth? And I know that there's a also a lot of um, the ideas coming about about the concept of birth givers. And maybe one of you can talk a little bit about that now. Sure. Yeah, I can definitely talk about like what midwifery means. Um, I think in getting ready for this, we were talking about, it could be helpful to define terms because often people are like, what is a midwife? What does it mean to deliver out of the hospital? Um, you know, the midwifery model of care is inherently humanistic. We we are focusing on the individual. Um, Tracy mentioned the word midwife means with woman. Um, and our role is really to serve clients, not to, um, you know, do things to them or react to disease in a way that medicine often positions itself. Um, so the philosophy behind our practice is really about bodily autonomy. Um, we know that people are experts on their body and often intuitively know what is right for them. Our job is to bring our expertise, our training, our experience, um, and help people navigate decisions for themselves. So, um, you know, the we talked about kind of the different ways that you can be a midwife. Um, you'll also hear the word community birth, which basically just describes when people birth outside of the hospital. So either in the home or in a birth center. There are important differences, I think, in home birth and birth center. But um, when we talk about like the Atlanta Birth Center, what we mean is that we're accredited by a national um, accrediting body that has specific standards of what it means to be a birth center. Um, It's a place where midwives provide both prenatal care and labor management and delivery um, within that space. So the type of care is inherently different than what it would look like in the hospital. Um, We care for people who are low risk. So, you know, we listen to babies intermittently during labor. We don't have like the continuous monitors that people are used to in the hospitals. We limit cervical exams. We only break people's water when it's indicated, you know, things like like that. We are very low intervention, only intervene when it, when it makes sense. Of course, there's times when labor and birth are not physiologic. Um, and, and we're trained to recognize that, like you mentioned, and to respond. So some things, certainly it's appropriate to respond to within the birth center. Other times it's appropriate to get high, to get care at a higher acuity setting. And so kind of like Molly mentioned, at the birth center, if there's a reason to transfer to the hospital, um, and, you know, there's various, let's say you get preeclampsia, need to be listening to the baby more and maybe get antihypertensive medicines, stuff like that, um, maybe be induced. We work with the large public hospital that's in Atlanta um, and the midwives at the birth center have privileges at that hospital. So we then go and our hospital midwives caring for people over there. And of course, in collaboration with physicians, I think it's important to know that good maternity care is, is a team effort, you know, Midwives are experts in low-risk vaginal deliveries, and it makes a lot of sense for us to be attending births 
in that situation. Physicians are experts in high-risk deliveries. They're surgeons. Um, it makes a lot of sense for us to collaborate and work together. And that's what we're really trying to do when we're working with the, the we work the Morehouse team at Grady. Can I just say one thing that was my um, observation many years ago and still to this day? One of the things I loved about working with um, nurse midwives was what you all mentioned earlier was the whole person care. Mm -hmm. Because when I would go in to speak to the nurse midwife, she asked about me. She asked about my mental health, my well-being, the health of my other child. It was it was so comprehensive about caring for me as a whole person. And I know now that with healthcare and just, you know, how much time sometimes our OB surgeons have only a small window of time to see um, a person that it is very different in how the cares can be. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know it's, there's not an intention not to give good care. I'm not saying that, but I mean, time does make a difference. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I have a wonderful uh, granddaughter who uh, just came into this room with me and is waving right now. So um, <laughs> I mean, I think that's, a, I think that's a really good point to make. Like Sometimes in the talk of like what midwifery is, it, it can seem very like midwife versus doctor, and it really isn't the case. Um, what we are certainly trying to do at the birth center, and I think with midwifery care in general, is structure the environment to where it's conducive to the model that we want. You know, that's what midwifery model of care means. When you come to us for your visits, you have 30 minutes in a in an OB visit. When we do annual exams, we do hour-long visits because we want to structure our day to where we have the time to give you that kind of care. Um, it's not like doctors don't care about you and all of the details of your life. Right. It's just how the U.S. medical system is structured does not support, you know, what's life like at the house? What do you cook for dinner for yourself? What's your relationship with your mom and your sister? You know, and that's that's super important for your care. Um, and we need to have the time for that. And that's a perfect entry to my next question. And I just wanted to say on that oh, point, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes, go ahead. With your granddaughter waving, that is a perfect <laughs> example of how we incorporate everybody <laughs> exactly. in the family in, <laughs> into the care. Perfect example. Yeah, thank you, Tracy. She and she is lovely, knowing that if she really needed me, even though we're on the radio and on Facebook Live, that I would be there for her. So thank you, <laughs> great example. So, um, but I think the other thing that's important that we know that there's stress, there's trauma, there's mm -hmm. mental health challenges that can happen um, during pregnancy, um, certainly during childbirth, as a result of childbirth, and in the postpartum area um, period as well. So, if, if you can, one of you could touch upon that and how you. What's the lens of how you look at this within the um, the Atlanta Birth Center? So who would like to go first? Okay, I, I think that's... Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, this one's yours. This one's mine. <laughs> okay, um, I think um, in regards to the impact of stress and trauma and mental health during the perinatal period, for people with the capacity of pregnancy, that impact is of stress is huge, Elaine, okay? This can often be the time in life where um, most likely a mental disorder like depression or anxiety we, is there. And we know pregnancy exasperates everything, okay? We know that. And if those of you who are listening who didn't know that pregnancy, you think, oh, I'm pregnant, everything's fine. You usually finds that if you were dealing with an issue before, prior to you getting pregnant, it's going to be a little bit more magnified now that you are pregnant. Uh, life still happens, 
Tracy, yeah. thank you for saying that because I think sometimes people say, well, if I just get pregnant, everything will be fine. Right. Which is not the way that it happens, is it? Absolutely. No. <laughs> and there's a um, plethora of reasons for that, actually, Elaine. Hormonal changes in your body, your level of cortisol cortisol is, is, is rising. That is there to help uh, uh, the baby, your body stress hormone that I'm trying to say, which increases in pregnancy. The change that also contributes negatively to your mental health, that change of your hormone level of, of the stress level rising, that can contribute negatively to the your mental health uh, and to the pregnant person by increasing anxiety. So they're feeling um, uh, a little bit more um, anxious. Um, one, because it could be their first pregnancy. Two, it could be a repeat pregnancy from a loss of a pregnancy. So there's anxiety all over all over, all over the place. That's just to name a few. Think about if your relationship, if the person's relationship wasn't the best relationship before the pregnancy come. Like you just said, they sometimes feel, oh, if I just get pregnant, everything was going to be all right. And it literally isn't. Breakdown with family members, uh, lack of social support, things that weren't an issue before now can sometimes be an issue. What about the refugees? We think about that. Um, they're coming, they're pregnant, strange place. English might not be their first language. What about poverty, um, employment issues, financial, I could go on, and housing issues. So the stress levels are rising in a pregnancy in a way that maybe if the pregnancy wasn't there, they could probably deal with it because uh, poverty, you're, you're just thinking, all I have to do is feed myself. Now I'm pregnant, I'm going to have to think about eating uh, as best as I can for my baby. And when the baby comes, if my poverty issues haven't been resolved, I'm now having another person to have to think about and have to. Think. So the stress and trauma caused directly by these mentioned issues can completely overwhelm the nervous system. It really can of the pregnant person and it makes them feel uh, alone, out of control, and they find that they can't see their way through. They think that this isn't going to be like this for the rest of their life. However, studies like and models like the community resilience model, I'm so pleased to say, for me, is just another tool in the arsenal. I feel just another tool of what is already available to the pregnant person to receive help that they so desperately need. And in this case, it can be self-administered. And that's what I like about this model. It can be self-administered to help combat the impact of the stress, the impact of the trauma on the mental health of the pregnant person during the perinatal period, most definitely. And so what I'd, I'd like to do is continue this conversation. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, your population in Atlanta and um, also, you know, the whole issue of uh, just terrible right now, our infant mortality rate is in the United States. It's going up. And I know that especially amongst um, black women, the black infant mortality rate is, is abominable. And, you know, in my estimation, that birth centers, the philosophy of the birth centers as a whole person could be one of the ways that we could mitigate the the problems that we have with, with um, infant mortality throughout the country. And so when we get back, I want to talk a little bit more about that and your perspectives. Of course, I want to hear more also about the, the Wellbeing Within um, project that you have also um, launched and that you're doing a research project about. And how do you think that's Im impacting, Tracy, you know, for example, the stress that you just talked about? So we're going to be back in, in just a couple minutes with these wonderful women, um, 
Molly Job, Hannah Walters, and Tracy Goddard Johnson, and we're going to talk more about the Atlantic, the Atlanta Birth Center, and their philosophy of caring for the whole person, and how they bring those little precious beings into the world, which is a lot of fun, isn't it? When those babies come into the, we would like to talk about that. It is so so fun to see those little people come into the world. One of the highlights of my life, certainly. All right, we'll be back in just a moment, and we'll continue our conversation. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine miller Karras book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. Elaine Miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine Miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, and I am so excited to be here with Molly Job, Hannah Walters, and Tracy Goddard Johnson, and we are talking about something that they dearly love. I could kind of say that I think so, right? Yeah. The, the Atlanta Birth Center, and so right before the break, uh, Tracy was you know letting us know just kind of the array of different challenges that um, that women may experience during their um, their pregnancy, but also some of the ways to help women who they can use for self care, which of course you know people know that I love the community resiliency model and. Of the developers of it, but having my past experience, as you can imagine, in childbirth education, it gives me such a, a warm feeling in my heart when I hear the three of you talking about it. So, um, but before we get to talking more about the the Wellness Within project, I really really like um, you all to tell me a little bit about if you what are the outcomes. I mean, are do you have improved outcomes in birth centers compared to hospital deliveries for low risk pregnancy? Um, give us give our audience an idea about that. Uh, Hannah, sure. you're 
Are you going to tell us about that? Go ahead. Um, yeah. So, um, unfortunately, you talked about this earlier, but the U.S. has really high rates of both infant and maternal mortality. Um, we mentioned terms earlier. We obviously we refer to women who are pregnant. Um, certainly, there are people who don't identify as women who get pregnant. So that's why we use that birth giver or um, birthing people, pregnant women, pregnant people, kind of interchangeably. Um, for all of those people, unfortunately, in the U.S., they experience higher rates of death and illness during their pregnancy than people outside of the U.S. Um, in, with similar types of economies. And in the South, we know that that disparity is, is even higher. And in the South, we know that disparity among um, people who are Black or um, non-white is even higher. And so really a big thing that the birth center, the Atlanta birth center and birth centers in general are trying to do is provide equity in um, obstetric care and, and decrease all of that. Um, so um, something that, that I would encourage everyone to look into is a strong start study, um, which can kind of show how effective birth centers are at care. The strong start study is out of the CMS, the Center for Medicaid and Medicare and Medicaid Services. Um, it looked specifically to improve outcomes for birthing people and babies who are covered by state-funded insurance like Medicaid. Um, specifically, it wanted to test the effectiveness of certain prenatal care models on their ability to decrease rates of preterm birth. So far, this study has showed that people who get prenatal care at birth centers even if they don't end up delivering at that birth center, have less rates of low birth rate, preterm birth, less C-section delivery, and more vaginal births after cesarean delivery. Um, so all of that is huge. And I think it, you know, in a big state-funded research way, says birth centers are doing a good job. Another important thing from the Strong Start study is that we found um, a really high rate of depression in pregnant and birthing people, which of course is pertinent to our study and what we've seen mirrored in our like patient population at the birth center. So um, I was gonna talk a little bit about um, kind of what we're trying to understand with the wellness within study. Um, certainly we wanna know how does CRIM affect pregnant people's depression and well-being and resilience. We also are interested in if CRIM is impactful despite or especially for those with a history of trauma. So, you know, people have complex lives. That history doesn't pause itself for pregnancy and for birth. Um, for one thing, our client population is predominantly Black, um, and we know that Black women um, experience stress from racism and trauma from racism, which can uh, hugely affect their health and their well-being during pregnancy. Um, a huge part of the community birth in Atlanta, and um, I would say probably everywhere, is giving Black people an option to birth outside of a system or institution that has proven itself to be often very racist and very violent. Um, you know, it's pretty common now, it's in the news a lot, the like incredibly huge disparity of maternal mortality among black women. And so I, a lot of the clients that we get come to us with that fear. You know, I've heard of this or my, I have had a horrible experience in the hospital. Someone I love has had a horrible experience and I, I don't want to do that for myself. 
So also as midwives, you know, we were seeing that more of our clients were coming to us with other types of trauma, past abuse, a history of violent relationships, um, sometimes active domestic violence in their house. It's hard to know the exact prevalence of interpersonal or domestic violence among pregnant people, but there's certainly data to suggest that those, um, that violence intensity increases in pregnancy. So outside of making a safety plan and trying to connect people with social services, we really wanted at ABC to be able to give something to our clients to empower them. Um, you know, it's really common for people who've experienced trauma to develop symptoms of PTSD in pregnancy. Um, you know, whenever or wherever people might have experienced trauma, it impacts your nervous system. And often that comes up in labor. So we really began to realize that what we wanted to offer was some kind of tool to make all that stuff manageable. And for us, really, I think CREM is, is proving to be the perfect tool. Oh, I'm 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 kind of a little speechless, which doesn't happen very often, Hannah, with me. But um, mm -hmm. oh, I I can't. I mean, this is just a, you know a dream come true for me to hear what you're saying about this because if you know when you think about you know women that are coming to the birth center are bringing those precious babies into into the world, and if they not only can help themselves with the stress and trauma that they have with such a simple dosage of a intervention, how might that affect the parenting? that they also engage in with their babies and with their children. Because if we can be in the that zone of well-being and mm -hmm. be the and best part of ourselves, not only, you know, making decisions about our health care, but also making decisions about how we parent our children, that that I think could make a huge, you know, difference that I know is not necessarily the scope of your study, but the ripple effect of, mm -hmm. of that care and what that can be. Now, I, I have a curiosity question that's kind of related to this. And I, I started talking about this actually in our very first pilot. I was doing a, a, a community resiliency model training to a group of the Black population in San Bernardino County. And one of the women there, um, um, Lois Dean Herndon is her name. She was on the um, a committee for Black infant mortality. And she was the first one when you mentioned racism, you know, and she said, well, think about what racism does to us. It dysregulates the nervous system. And if you're dealing with micro and macro aggressions yes. constantly, that means that our nervous system is being impacted. And could that be, I guess the question is, could that be the reason why that if you take all the other factors away, economic status, et cetera, why black infant mortality is still higher in people who are black? And is it that nervous system? Is that part of the, is that, if, is that part of it? So Tracy, I'm seeing you nod your head. I don't know who would like to respond to that curiosity question. That curiosity question basically goes on the back of what all of what Hannah has said and what you've just said, actually, and that's why I was nodding my head so profusely. I really absolutely believe that stress hormone level that is increased anyway in the pregnancy, then the pregnant black person has experienced the micro or the, the, the macro. Uh, uh, no wonder they then feel that they have to hit back in such a way that Hannah and Molly, myself, we've talked about this. They get labeled women, black uh, birthing people get labeled as the angry black woman because she's meeting that aggression and then she's trying to be an advocate for herself and for her baby and she's meeting it head on in exactly the same way. I believe they've been wrongly um, um, labeled in that way and it is 
received very negatively when a woman, a black birth in person, expresses herself in that way. It almost comes across like it's a character flaw, like something's wrong. And um, not may I say to, 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 to the listeners, not all black birthers feel the same way. However, this model gives the platform to the black birth in person, the black giver, black birthing givers rather, who feel that way, that they're always feeling that their sympathetic nervous system has to be like this. I have to be on um, fight or flight because this is what we are experiencing. From research, we know that white birth givers in early labor are going to be more likely to be supported. We know that from research, whereas the black birth givers are more likely to be dismissed and possibly discouraged uh, and, and possibly don't have a good support system There's around them. There's that assumption that the birth, um, black birth givers don't have partners. You see, they just miraculously got pregnant and nobody's... <laughs> Nobody's nobody's there. Um, and then there's always uh, also we have to identify the language barrier there. The pregnant person might not speak English. The uh, support person might not speak English. Her support system might not speak English. And she's usually not encouraged that way then to bring that support system into a hospital setting because nobody can understand them. OK, or it takes so long for language line to be used to get somebody to speak to them. I remember even in the UK using language line and getting somebody in California. <laughs> no, I remember using language line. For those people that don't know what that is, is that it's a bank that you can call and they have someone, you the hospital pays for this person who speaks the same language. And you're literally on a phone talking to people about really sometimes life and death situations. Yes. Yes. And it's just not the most optimal way of giving care to anyone, right? So it's, it's better than nothing, but yes. it, like you said, it's not the most optimal way. So you ultimately black birth givers lose their advocacy, nobody to advocate for them. And therefore the greater risk of having an adverse outcome let's just call it as is it dying in labor um, because their support system is not acknowledged and they're judged wrongly when they try to express that you see getting back to that angry black woman so the community resilience model and being at the birth center I am like oh hallelujah there is something and I said to uh, Molly and Hannah if the data does not come back reflecting what we are already see what I am already seeing it's lying because <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I said that to them, and Hannah, yes, I agree, because we are seeing the positive, Elaine, and I'd like to thank you for that. We are seeing the positive impacts already before we've collated all of the data, before we've had a chance to analyse it, to see that this has given not just the Black birth giver, but because it's Black History Month, let's talk about it, happy Black History Month, because of that, it's given them a safe place to land. It's given them a place to be able to express themselves without being labeled in any negative way and other ethnicities also. And Tracy, what you're saying about that too, please, I mean, if you disagree, this is the way that we can change systemic racism, right? In having that warm, engaging place that sees the person and listens and witnesses and responds in that warm, loving way. Now, I'm going to ask another question because I think this is important. And that is that there's a lot of white midwives how have, have you taken a look at that? And, you know, how has that played into wanting to give better care and also to mitigate what people may, you know, feel about you because you're white if you're black coming into care? I don't know, Molly and Hannah, if you'd like to, to touch that one. No, that's not an easy question. 
Sure. I can touch on this some because it's honestly been woven into all of our project and I think has been hard, but also one reason why um, we've feel that this work has been really valuable both for the birth center um, and for us as individuals. But yes, we we really acknowledge that we we don't have enough black midwives, um, both even within our own care facility and, and of course on a state and national level. Um, and we really need more black midwives so that we can have you know people taking care of people that look like them. Um, in terms of our our project, you know, you know, we this has looked a little bit different than some research projects because it's kind of a, a middle ground between kind of some more traditional like research methods where there's, you know, there's sometimes a researcher who wants to go in and study a community and the community is only involved as participants in the study. And then there's also community research where a community wants to ask a question. So they involve a researcher. Um, and then there's us where we are part of a community and trying to learn how to be researchers. Um, and it's been really valuable and like, you know, a, a simple aspect is just that as part of the community, our patients trust us. So like we've had good recruitment with the project and things like that. But in terms specifically of working in this framework of, of trying to conduct anti-racist research and promoting equity in research and care, um, it's been a big learning curve, honestly. We've had to have a lot of hard conversations with our um, administrator and our study team members about how we can make sure that our team, our research team, reflects our the population that we are caring for. So everything from trying our best to have, um, you know, again, our study team reflect our client population. So having Black leadership on our team, having our, our CRIM teachers um, look like the clients that are taking the CRIM class, um, and as well as our um, our. Uh, our, we have a community accountability partnership board. So essentially a group of community stakeholders that are giving us feedback on everything from what our logo looks like to the language we use in emails um, to make sure that the what we're giving our kind of our, our patient facing material um, makes sense and resonates with everyone that we're offering it to, not just one um, demographic. But it's been hard, honestly, and we haven't been doing it right. Um, but I was thinking, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot through the project. And um, I think, you know, one of the great things about the birth center and about community is that we get to have these conversations and be messy and learn from this. Um, and so that as we move forward and hopefully continue to do this work, we can do it better um, earlier on um, so that we really are, you know, working to make systemic changes. You know, I think you mentioned CRIM, like, you know, in terms of its impact on systemic racism. And I think we have tried to say from the beginning that we, you know, our goal of this project was not that we felt like CRIM itself was going to fix the systemic racism issues. Um, but I do feel that like the conversations we'd had as midwives, as researchers, as a staff and learning like how messy our system is um, and how to make it better are hopefully working in that, um, in that pursuit, which has been really amazing. Thank you, Molly. And, and I just want to see if, if Hannah and Tracy want to also make a comment on, because it's such an important part, I think, of of how we reach into our communities and, and increase care for everyone. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, I think I would like to add, like, you know, it's one thing as a white midwife working in a predominantly 
like black population and setting to constantly be trying to examine my personal mm-hmm. biases or like, okay, this is the, the level and the type of care I'm, I'm providing. Is this appropriate? Um, is this inappropriate? What can I do better? How can I work with my team better? Um, we are a predominantly white team at the Atlanta Birth Center. I think it can be it can be really obvious sometimes that when your provider looks like you, it's easier to have a conversation with them. You know, we have really amazing midwife assistants. And sometimes I'm in the room like, hey, how are you doing? How, how's it going? And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm good. Nothing's wrong. And then the the midwife assistant's like, oh, she's got like 10 things going on. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it almost, I can be who I'm trying to be. And it, it's still, there's all of this history of violence that, of, of course, you'll tell me everything's fine, you know? Um, and so I think, and research has demonstrated this, like having a midwife or an obstetric provider that looks like you will mean that you have better outcomes, mm-hmm. period. And so with that means like we need more black midwives. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, especially in Georgia, it's really hard to have access to midwifery training. The birth center is one of the biggest places that that trains birth centers, or excuse me, that trains midwives in Georgia. Um, and there's a lot to be said about like how the structure of paying people to train doctors versus like getting people to train midwives. There's a lot to be said about that, but I think- So there's lots of, there's also other systems in play. Yes, right. so many other systems. Who even gets trained. I mean, For I think sure. I lay yeah. that out. I can say that, <laughs> you know, because yeah. this is what I'm hearing. So- For sure. And so it's just, um, I think to keep plugging birth centers, um, it's so vitally important to ha- people ha- have access to become a midwife and- and train to to be a midwife and then be able to care for their their community. Mm-hmm. So Tracy, I, I want to hear your input to this conversation as well, if you can share what you've been thinking. Thank a um, couple of points, and I'll be as quick as I can. Trust, um, I'm gaining trust, but on the back of what Hannah just says, uh, being a white midwife, I don't know what that's like. I'm, I'm a person of color, but I can attest to being able to gain the trust of the pregnant person. I think once you've done that, you're pretty much halfway home in being able to, uh, for them to be able to divulge what is going on with them and being able to then being able to feel like I've said before, that they can land safely somewhere, that they're not going to be judged if they, you know, cry or if they don't cry, oh, she's really strong. Maybe she's not. Maybe that's just her way of dealing with it. That's a couple of points. Um, I once that I have attested to uh, the the white midwife going in trying to care for the the pregnant person the the person doesn't say a word and then when I go in there as a black midwife everything comes out but I'd like to say that can also work uh, against me because even sometimes some black um, birthing people don't trust their own black uh, uh, persons coming to train because they're coming to care for them rather because they don't know where they are going to be landing. They think, Oh, well, you're one of them, aren't you now? You're, you're a midwife. You're one of, so we could, you know, it could go on and on, but I think gaining the trust, building a rapport with the woman as quickly and as robustly as you possibly can. I think that says a lot, just being kind, smiling, eye contact, 
so that they can start to say, I like that. We're all human beings and there are good and bad in every single ethnicity out there. But if we can gain the trust of these birthing people uh, as much as we possibly can. And the last point I wanted to make to Hannah was the training. Coming here from being an outsider, so to speak, I'm, I don't feel like an outsider, but I'm just saying that so that you understand. Coming from the United Kingdom and trying to gain access into a training facility. When I first came here, Emery was doing a midwifery program, what Hannah was just talking about. Now they're not doing anything at all, I understand. So being able to access that so black uh, people um, um women birthers or even just somebody like myself who would like to continue in uh, working and delivering women in the facilities of somewhere like the birth center it should be a lot easier why isn't it a lot easier why can't i why do i have to go to florida and do my school oh my goodness so that's where you have to go to get your um yeah training. my cpm that's oh. exactly right. <laughs> I cannot believe I, this is like the shortest program ever in the <laughs> hour. I, I, I'm going to ask you if we can, if you can come back for a part two, I'm, gonna, I'm hoping that maybe this month you might be able to, because I feel like we haven't even talked about the other part that I really want to hear more about the, um, the well-being um, within project, because I think what we've done today is we've laid out all the reasons why there needs to be a project and <laughs> You really, I think, done a wonderful job in helping us understand the Atlanta Birth Center and the philosophy of midwifery and of the birth center, and also how you are actively working on gaining greater insights. You know, Molly, when you said that you made plenty of mistakes and, you know, you know now, how, you know, you're learning, you're not over, you're not done, it's not baked. And, you know, with having... Um, people of color being part of your team and how essential that is and how can we, you know, systemly, systematically, even with how health policy is delivered, how can this change? So I'm hoping that you're all going to say yes to come back for part two. So they're, they're all smiling at me. I hope that that is um, going to be the case. We have two minutes left. So I'm going to ask one of you to give one final statement instead of each one of you, because we don't have the time for it. If there's anything that um, you want to leave the audience with. And who wants to be that person? I know they're all three. I can say something. I, well, I mean, we want to thank you more than anything for for your guidance and and support on the project. And we're excited to come back and and definitely share more about what we're doing. But we. We really do believe that CRIM has been immensely valuable to the midwives that are, are learning it, to our to our patients and um, who are learning. And, and I think our hope is really just it continues to be woven into maternal care um, so that we can see, you know, systemic changes and that this can be something that really is impactful for the overall well-being of, of all birthing people. So we're Thank excited you. to be doing the work. <laughs> Thank you. So thank you, Tracy, Hannah, Molly, for being here and sharing your wisdom. And I think that all of you have been talking about what happens at the Atlanta Birth Center is what else is true. <laughs> yes, there is a system that doesn't work really well, but there are systems that are being created that are working really well. And if we can expand that, how might the world be different? How might we impact infant and maternal um, morbidity and mortality to have healthier, you know, babies, healthier moms, birth givers. I have to get rid, get rid that new vocabulary into my head. Um, 
all those different things that we know will make a huge difference. So thank you so much. And to my audience, this is Elaine Miller-Karis signing off for Resiliency Within. And we will have these wonderful uh, nurse midwives come back to give a part two when they will do a deeper dive into uh, well-being within. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller-Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.